I say drink, Scott says snort. That's because my water's clean, Scott has whiskey in his. Um, just wanting to start a rumor, you know. Uh, things aren't... St- oh, anyway, okay, never mind, Rick. Uh, let's pray together, then we'll go. Father, thank you so much for our time now to be able to dig into your word. Thank you that you, you have not been silent concerning, especially our topic tonight, concerning same-sex marriage. You're not silent concerning homosexuality. You're not silent concerning the things that have our culture at war right now. I pray, Lord, that, that you'll guide my words and that you'll, you'll use my words to be able to, to help us come to a better understanding of what you have to say concerning this. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Uh, and just so that you know ahead of time, I have an... Man, I'm really thirsty. Uh, I have... Uh, this is a labor of love here. One, two, three... It's only six pages total, three pages front and back, but I I typed out my message this evening, okay? I tried to put it in in as pretty much a manuscript form as I could. On your way out, if you have questions about what I said, you just need to take one of these, all right? Um, And and they're going to be at the end of the ramp, table to the right, okay? Just feel free to grab one. Um, It's not because of what I'm saying being so profound, it's just that when we're dealing with a subject so sensitive, I think it's important that we're very clear, all right? Now, we are starting tonight a series entitled, I Object, Common Objections to the Christian Faith. When you, when you deal with unbelievers, unbelievers stay away from Jesus for a variety of reasons. The number one reason, according, according to Jim Wallace, who was here, the apologist who was here this past year, The number one reason why unbelievers will not give you their ear concerning your faith is because you need to answer this one big question, why are all you Christians against same-sex marriage? What is the deal with that? And it's certainly been brought to light. This is such an appropriate subject right now. It's been brought to light with Kim Davis over in Kentucky, and and I'm just going to say this. Uh, You are certainly free to disagree with me, but I want you to understand something. This is really important. Kim Davis, in determining not to give out any marriage licenses whatsoever because of the ruling of the Supreme Court, people are going, look, you you were elected to do a job. You're getting paid to do a job. Just do your job. Question's this. What do you do when your job and the laws that govern you conflict with your faith and the God who governs you. What do you do? And what she has chosen to do is she has chosen to take a stand for the God who she serves, the God of the Scripture. She's chosen to take a stand on that. There's a lot of Christians who are giving her a lot of heat, but look, girl, come on, you were, you were elected to do this job. Well, you know what? She's a Christian first. And whenever government and Christianity, or government and God collide, then there's a decision that has to be made. Who do I obey? And the way I read it, the way I understand it, she obeyed her faith. She obeyed what she believed, and I appreciate that. But what it did do is it certainly brought all of this after the uh, Supreme Court ruling brought it all to a big head. So here's what we're gonna do. I want you to take your outlines. We're going to, your, your little bulletin there, and we're going to walk through this, okay? We're going to walk through it, through it right from the top. Uh, 
And why are Christians against same-sex marriage? I think the first thing we have to do is we have to draw the biblical picture of what marriage is. Before we understand same-sex marriage, let's just understand God on what marriage is. And I'm only going to take you to two passages here. I want you to go over to Genesis uh, chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, I'll pick it up at verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name, what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh." So we have over in the Old Testament, in in the creation account here, we have this whole picture of God making man, making woman, and bringing them together. The woman was a helper suitable for the man. We're going to come back to this in just a second. I want you to jump over now to Matthew chapter 19, and we'll look at verses 4 through 6. In Matthew 19... Here you go. Jesus is responding to a question about divorce, but in responding to the question, he, he, here's what he says. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, see he references Genesis here, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, just probably four weeks ago, five weeks ago, a young man, he's, he's married, he has a couple kids, a Christian man, a, a friend of mine, um, he, he got in touch with me about all this same-sex stuff, and he's really upset with the church. He's really upset that the church doesn't affirm homosexual marriage. He's really upset that Christians come across so judgmental. And I said, well, let me, let me ask you this. And he, he was spouting off to me, and I said, let me, let me just ask you, what's your, what's your reasoning behind it? Do you have a scripture verse? He goes, absolutely, I have a scripture verse. Jesus said that it's not good for the man or the woman to be alone. He said that. And I said, No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 2.18, it says that God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And as a result, he took a rib and he made a woman who would be suitable for the man. It doesn't say that it's not good for a man or a woman to be alone. Well, well, you're right. It doesn't say that. And then he went on and dismissed the whole creation account as nothing more than what they call a patriarchal myth, 
that the church uses to impose its, its idea of what marriage is on, on society. Now, I'm not really hard on him. I mean, I still love him. Uh, no problem at all. I understand him because he has to say that. You see, in order to, in order to land on the idea that God blesses same-sex marriage, you have to look at what he says about marriage and ignore it. You have to, you have to come up with some other way of interpreting what's being said. And so that he was being consistent. He, he was trying to reinterpret what the Scripture was saying. So when you look at just the biblical picture, though, when you look at what is written in Genesis, and when you look what Jesus reaffirms over in Matthew, what you see is that, that there's, there's the man. God made the woman, brought the woman to the man. She was suitable for him, and, and everything was good. And everything was good. Okay, so there's the biblical picture. That's, for many, not the problem, though. Look at the next part of your outline. Those six passages, those six passages, we're going we're gonna to look. See, homosexuality is not talked about all through the Scripture. As a matter of fact, uh, just, just make note of this. The Bible isn't a book about homosexuality. It's not a book about homosexuality. It's the story of God's plan of redemption through Jesus, His Son. It's just that it so happens that in the course of expressing this plan of redemption, the topic of homosexuality comes up, and it doesn't come up often, but it comes up six times. All right, it's dealt with six times, and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at these passages, but I want you to understand, I want you to keep this in mind, these passages, homosexuality is not what the Bible's about. That's a big deal. You got, you got to remember that. It's not about that. The Bible is about God's story of redemption. I want us to start in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 19. Let me get over to it. Genesis 19. I'm going to start at uh, verse 1. I'm going to read down to verse 9. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we'll, we'll spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the doors behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. How would you like that guy for a dad? Um, but don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. Now, the revisionists, much like my friend Todd, the revisionists, when they look at this passage, they say that the sin of Sodom wasn't wanting to have sex with other men, men wanting to have sex with other men, 
The sin of Sodom, this is what the revisionists will tell you, the sin of Sodom is having sex with other men outside the framework of a covenant marriage. So that's, that's how, and they have to come there. We, we, can, we can see that, we can hear that, but they have to go there. They have to go there to be able to defend their position, all right? And so, so like, like my friend, um, when he was talking about the creation account, they too have to work Scripture around in order to defend their position. I want you to go to Leviticus chapter 18. We'll look at verse 22. Now, the whole chapter of Leviticus 18, the entire chapter deals with unlawful sexual behavior, all kinds of stuff in there, but all we're going to look at are three verses just addressing the topic at hand. Verse 22, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Jump, skip a verse, go down to verse 24. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sins, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Now, before we move on to the next one, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say this just to whet your appetite a little bit, okay? Because it would take me too long to jump into all of this. There's been an interesting study in history done, just a re- to me a real interesting study about great nations. Great nations who n- people thought no one can overthrow Rome. Who could take on Babylon? Who can, who can take on the Chaldeans? I mean, on, on and on and on. All these great nations. And, and we, as a country, we do, we sit with some pride. There's nobody that can take us on. America's the greatest nation. We, we work in that kind of mindset. But there's just an interesting study when you look at the history of nations that have risen and then fallen. That before the fall, the moral collapse of that nation was great. So great that, as you'll see when we get to Romans 1, that same-sex relationships became just an acceptable practice in the culture. Just kind of interesting. Throw it out there. Whet your appetite. You can look at that if you want. You can study that more if you want. That's another sermon for another time. Um, Just flip over a couple of chapters. Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man has sexual relations uh, with a woman as one... Let me get this right. If a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. Now, chapter 20 is about, lays out all the punishment for the various sins that were committed, okay? So chapter 18, it's just a list of all sorts of sexual sins. Chapter 20, the punishment for those sins. Now, let's go over into the New Testament in Romans chapter 1. Again, I'm, I'm not really trying to stand up here and read this and make a lot of comment because I think the Scripture really does speak for itself and the Scripture is extremely clear. Pick it up in verse 21. Paul writes, For although they knew God... You're going you're gonna to have to notice something here. You're going to see this downward spiral that exists in these verses that we're going to read. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. So they knew God, but they didn't glorify Him. Just pay attention to that. And because they didn't glorify Him, they they didn't give thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, became empty. And their foolish hearts were darkened. 
although they claim to be wise, now look at this, they claim to be wise, they became fools. And in doing so, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So in essence, they knew God, but they didn't glorify him. And since they didn't glorify him, they traded him in. Does that sound familiar? They traded him in. They looked at God and said, we know who you are. It's just that, hey, thanks, but you're really in our way. We're trading you in for what was created, for images of one another. We're trading you in. All right. Therefore, and as Scott has taught over all the years, whenever you see therefore, you go, okay, sit up, listen. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Now look at this. They exchange, see they exchange again here. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. So what they did is, is in, in trading God in, they voluntarily, they voluntarily became slaves. They voluntarily became slaves to whatever their desires wanted. Whatever they wanted, they were a slave to it. And God turned them over to that kind of a desire. They wanted it. God gave it to them. This is what you've done. You want me out? I'm out. You've exchanged me for something else? Here you go. All right. I just tell you, whenever you exchange God for something else, you lose. Okay, that's my little side note. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned their natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their, area, for, for their error. Mark, I want you, if you would, to put on the screen that quote from John MacArthur. I want you to see this. When a man forsakes the author of nature, he forsakes the order of nature. When, when we forsake God, who, who gave us nature, who created everything that is, when we forsake Him, then we forsake His order. And when we forsake His order, we find ourselves running around doing whatever we want to do, whatever feels good to us, whatever we think is right. We could really care less about what He has to say. And for you all who, who really care about what He has to say, you're, you're deluded, you're crazy. I mean, that's how culture looks at us. But when you leave God out of the equation then the order of his, nat his nature, the order of his creation is completely upset. And that's what we have here. Okay. So now we'll, we'll run over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Oh, wait, before we do, let me say this. Let me say this about Romans. How revisionists approach this. They, they brush this aside as a commentary on adult child sex. They say that's what he's talking about here. 
And if, not, if he's not talking about sex between adults and children, he's talking about sex between slave owners and the slaves. That's how, that's how they brush this aside, okay? And there's a fancy word for it. I'm not, I'm not going to go there, but I want you this quote by Kevin DeYoung out of his book on homosexuality, which, by the way, is an excellent, excellent read on this topic. Gender is the point, not orientation or exploitation or domination. The issue is exchanging the natural relationship between a man and a woman for unnatural same-sex relationships. That's the issue at hand here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is going to be both a, a damning scripture, but it's also going to be, you'll find out in just a bit, a wonderful passage of hope. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 9. Just read two verses. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's tough talk. It's important that I point this out. In this passage, Paul is not singling out homosexuality as the only sin. He's not singling homosexuality out. But it's also important that I say this. He is including homosexuality and identifying it as a sin. Okay? In the same way that he identifies the others. It was interesting, uh, I, I don't remember how many months ago, but I was in Boston at the Q Conference. Q Conference is a conference for church leaders, and, and it's, it's really kind of neat. It's kind of frustrating, but it's kind of neat because you discuss the cultural trends at the time in the United States and how you as a church need to handle the cultural trends. And, and so they put on the table for discussion things that you really don't want to talk about. And at this one, for most of the conference, they had talked about the LGBTQ community um, and, and how the church should respond. And on the stage, they had a number of presenters. They had, they had pastors who were, who were affirming of gay marriages. Um, there, there were pastors who... Uh, who believed homosexuality, and we'll talk about this in a minute, who believed homosexuality was the way you were born, and, and, but you still, you still have to reach out to folks, you have to receive them, you have to accept them. We'll talk about that in a minute. There was all kinds of presentation about homosexuality, about same-sex relationships and all of that. A lot of debate going back and forth, a lot of discussion in the smaller discussion groups, but you know what you didn't hear? You didn't hear any of the of, of the presenters, whether they were presenting for homosexual relationships, same-sex marriage, or they were presenting against it, no one brought up the word sin. They didn't bring up the word sin. It's kind of interesting when you sit there and you're going, would somebody just identify it for what it is? Does anybody have the courage just to say, that's sin? And, and, and so it was interesting to sit there in this conference, which is about putting everything on the table, but it wasn't going to be put on the table by those who were putting the conference together. They asked leading questions, but they never got there. Now, 
uh, the, the artist, music, music artist Lecrae, he spoke for a little bit. He really wasn't up there addressing the, the, he wasn't supposed to be addressing the issue of homosexuality. He was addressing a whole different issue. But in the, in the context and framework of what he was sharing, he at least had the courage to say it. And when he did, there was applause. I mean, he's like, yes, yes, okay, somebody did this. Somebody did this. That's, that's interesting to me, that, that people will avoid dealing with it the way Paul dealt with it here and just identifying it as, as sin. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. This is Paul writing to uh, young Timothy um, that he's bringing along in the faith. Verse 8. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel according to I mean, concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Now, what I want to do for just a couple of moments, we look at those six verses. You, you walk away from looking at the six, six passages of Scripture and you go, okay, it's sin. It, it's sin in, in Genesis 19. It's sin in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and every place in between. It's sin. Homosexuality is sin. I wonder if the day will come when I say that, that I will be accused of hate speech. Um, I wonder. But I got to tell you, see, listen, this is why I said what I said about Kim Davis. There's a time when you have to stand. There's a time when you have to look at the comforts of your life and go, am I willing to sacrifice these things for what is right? And sad to say, I, I don't see a lot of people willing to do that. And when someone does step up and do that, they get, uh, they get hammered because they stood up for what they believed. And so, so I'll say it. So that you're clear. So where does Christ's community stand on this? We stand where the scripture stands on this. Homosexuality is a sin. Because homosexuality is a sin, same-sex marriage is a sin. Because homosexuality is a sin, we're not going to do a wedding for same-sex couples. It's not going to happen. Not here and not by anybody on this staff. Why? Not because we're just a bunch of arrogant knuckleheads, but it's because of the Scripture. And this is what we're beholden to. This is it. This is it. But in light of that, we still have objections that come our way. I want to address a couple of the objections. There's a bunch, but there's a couple of objections related to what I'm saying here. But I was born this way. I was born this way. Let me say three things concerning being born this way. Three things. Number, uh, before number one, I don't pretend to be an expert here. Okay? I don't even pretend. 
But, but I'm pretty well read on this. And so the first thing I share to you is this. There's no medical evidence to support the existence of the gay gene. None. Right now, as we're sitting here, there's no medical evidence. There's a lot of theory. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hypothesis out there, but there's no uh, evidence, medical evidence, to support the existence of the gay gene. And if you want to read a comprehensive study of this, it's really, really well done, then all you have to do is if you'll go to our website, it will connect you to a website. I don't know if it's in your notes or not, if the, if the link is there. If you want it right away, you can come up to me after the service. I'll give it to you. A great link. Take you, take you a little time to get through it, but it's an excellent, excellent, excellent read on this very topic. Second, and I, and I want to acknowledge this, there is observable evidence of males with a lot of feminine characteristics and females with a lot of masculine characteristics. There's evidence of that. It's observable. Are those, are, is, are those things learned? Are they socially imposed? I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's beyond me. I, I can't even begin to answer that. I'll recognize it, but my answer is I don't know. And third, while I don't understand same-sex attraction, I find it interesting that we live in a culture that identifies us by our sexuality. Okay, now this is big. We live in a culture that identifies us by our, our sexuality. And when we identify ourselves by our sexuality, follow me here, when we identify ourselves by our sexuality, we become slaves to our sexuality. If I identify myself as homosexual, this is just who I am. This is my identity. If I identify myself that way, I'm a slave to that, no matter what, because that's how I identify myself. I don't want my sexuality to be my identity. I don't want to be known as Rick, the heterosexual. That's weird. I mean, I do want to be known as that. Uh, I probably should clarify that. God. Can you erase that? Can you make sure that doesn't get on? Okay. What I want to identify myself with is I want to identify myself with Jesus. I don't want to be identified by my sexuality. I don't want to be identified by my financial status. I don't want to be identified by my job, by my, by my ministry. I want to be identified as a follower of Jesus. That's how I want to be identified. And my heart breaks for people who feel they are trapped in, in homosexuality or, or in in lesbianism or the whole LGBT, the bi, the trans, the whole, the whole thing. I feel sorry for people who feel trapped in that because they are enslaved to it. And see, there's no freedom when you're enslaved to those things. But the scripture says that when you are identified in Christ, when you become a slave or a servant of Christ and he becomes your master, you're really set free. And that's how I want to be identified. That's where I want my connection to be. That's what I want to be known as. And that means that I, I'm just, 
what this means to the person who, is, who feels trapped in the identity of, of being a homosexual or a lesbian or, or a bi or a trans. Let me tell you then how I would approach you. If you came to me and go, well, well, look, I want to follow Jesus, but what you're saying is this is, this is a sin and I can't, I can't do this and I can't follow Jesus, but this is how I feel, who I am and all that. This is how I identify myself. Well, here's what I want to tell you. At the very least, I will tell you this. If you feel enslaved to your sexuality and you want to follow Jesus, then when you reach out to Jesus, you need to become celibate. That's it. I will love Jesus more than I will love this sin. That's what, you, that's what I would tell someone. Gosh, in this past year, about a year, in the past year, I have sat right up here on the steps with a handful of young adults on Sunday morning, I mean, at different times, not together, at different times. I'm lesbian, I'm gay. I'm going, oh, I feel sorry that you identify yourself that way. I hate, I hate that you identify yourself that way. Have you ever thought of identifying yourself through Jesus and understanding his view of this, okay? And I could spend a long time on that. I'm not going to. The second one is I'm hopelessly homosexual. This is, this is, and, and this I have heard from a number of, of homosexual people. I, I've heard, I, I don't want to be this. This is, this is what I am. I'm hopeless. And that's why in, in the, in the uh, homosexual and lesbian communion, community, that's why you see, you see quite a bit of suicide because there's hopelessness here. I don't want this. I don't want to be this, but this is, this is who I am and this is what I am. And sadly, many people struggle with, with this hopelessness. And that's where I want to take us back to the Scripture because we're always safe in going back to the Scripture. There's a verse I didn't read to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The last verse. When we read verses 9 and 10, I didn't read to you verse 11 because I just wanted to get the, God's view of homosexuality, get that on the table and, and set it out there. But if you're dealing with that sin or if you're dealing with any of the other sins that he mentions there. Because again, he's not singling it out. He lumps it together with a whole bunch of other sins. Check this out. Let, Mark, let's do this. Let's go back and do verse 9 first. Okay, I want to re, read 9 and 10 again just to refresh us, and then we'll, we'll hit verse 11. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to do it. Now look at this verse. And that is what some of you were. See, you looked at that list and you're going, I used to be that guy. I used to be that lady. But, but, I got Keep that right up there at Body and Soul. The Bible study I teach on Thursday nights down at Iron Body Fitness, and you can tell I'm doing Iron Body stuff. I'm, I'm kind of the Pillsbury Doughboy version of the uh, Iron Body thing. Uh, so anyway, um, when I come to a verse like this, and I come to a word like this, but, I call that the big but. This, this, is, this is the big but that you want to you want to just land on in the same way that Scott talks about therefore, 
This, this is, look at this, but you, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What you were, verses 9 and 10, that's what you were. But in Christ now, you are. You are what? You're washed. All the filth has been cleansed. You're sanctified. What does that mean? That means you have been, you have been set apart by God to serve God. And you're justified. What does that mean? Basically, that means you have been put into a right relationship with God. What you were and what you are are two completely different things. And in the case of what we're talking about, I say to the, to the person who is struggling with same-sex attraction, simply this, you were, but I'm telling you in Christ, what, what you believe you are right now will become past tense because he has the power to overcome that. I believe that. If I don't believe that, I need to quit. I believe that the one who spoke everything into existence by the power of his word, I believe that he can meet us at whatever level we are at and he can make us what he wants us to be. And that's what verse 11, that's what verse 11 is screaming to us. Through Jesus Christ. Now, this is where I want to close. Really simple. I was teaching Bible study up at New Beginnings, and we were actually working through 1 Corinthians, and we came across this passage, and one of the hands went up. And I wasn't planning on dealing with this topic, and I didn't that week. But this girl said, wait a second. If that says that you're a homo- if you're a homosexual, you're not going to go to heaven, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, well, then why did God make us that way? And I, I said, well... I'm not going to answer that. What I'm going to do is wait till next week because we don't have time to do this. But next week, I want to do this with you. And here's what I did. And this is what I want to close with with you all. I drew a line right down the middle of the whiteboard. And on one side, I wrote God. And on the other side, I wrote culture. And I said, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me all the reasons why the culture says uh, homosexuality is okay, le- being a lesbian is okay, and same-sex marriage is okay. All the reasons. Oh, we just listed them all, bunches. I mean, all of them, but bunches. They were quick on it. Oh, yeah, we know why. I mean, this is what we hear. I said, okay, now, here's what I want to do. I want to take you to six passages of Scripture, and I want to write them down up here. And so I wrote them down under God. We had all the cultural reasons. We have God. Now, here's the bottom line. This is, I turned to them. I looked at the young lady who had asked it the week earlier. And she, she was, <laughs> kind of felt good to do this because she was so arrogant when she asked the question. Um, I said, this is what God says. This is what your world says. The good thing about today is you get to choose which one you're going to listen to. So you can follow God and say, okay, God, I believe what you're saying is right. Or you can follow your culture and say, okay, culture, I believe what you're saying is right. But you get to choose that. This guy standing here chooses to follow the truth of the word of God because it's truth. Not a truth, it is the truth. 
And so when it is silent about some things, then we're silent about some things. But when it addresses it, then we address it. And we fall in line with how God views it. I appreciate what Franklin Graham said when he was asked, so, where do you land on all of this? And he said, well, a long time ago, when God gave his word, he said homosexuality was a sin. And he hasn't written anything since. And so it's a sin. That's where I stand. And that's good. So what does Christ's community do when a gay couple comes walking into the doors? Let me tell you what we don't do. We don't point and talk and gossip. We walk up and we welcome them in the name of Jesus. Why? For the same reason we welcome one another in the name of Jesus. Let him without sin cast the first stone here. They are in need of Jesus in the same way that you and I are in need of Jesus. And while you may not understand that life, while it may be to you the lowest of all forms, they are people who are in need of Jesus Christ. And this church, Christ Community Church, exists not so we can all get in here and act so holy, but so that we can all get in here and worship and give praise to the Holy One who saved us in our unholiness. Okay? And that's how I encourage you. All right. We're done. We're going to pray together. And then when you leave this evening, again, I invite you, I invite you to take the, a little uh, manuscript if you want. Uh, it'll probably be clearer on some things than I was this evening, but uh, let me pray for you, okay? Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. I thank you that in a time where we, we live in such challenging times, and the truth of your word is constantly being hammered, Father, I, I pray that you give us the desire to stand for the truth of your word. I pray that we will call sin, sin. Not just in the lives of others, though. I pray that we will call sin, sin in our own lives. And that we'll deal with those things before you and that we will seek your assistance in growing beyond that time. But Lord, if, if by chance we, we have a relationship with, with folks who are who are struggling with their sexual identity and same-sex attraction, Father, help us to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus here. Help us to be able to, to express the gospel as it was expressed to us. Help us to hold out to everyone the good news of your love and grace and forgiveness. And Father, when, when, we, when we and if we take on an attitude of condemnation towards, towards anyone else. Lord, please forgive us. And, and if you've got to take us to the woodshed, take us to the woodshed. And I pray, as we go and as we serve and represent you and express your love to others, 
I pray that you will use us to be your mouthpiece so others can be drawn into your kingdom. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. And thank you for living in us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. God bless you, Christ community. I pray you have a great week. And please don't forget, the dollar for those less fortunate, we're going to give all that to the deaf folks on their trip to the Creation Museum. Really looking forward to that for them. Have a great week. We'll see you later.